Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me. Covering The Rogue, Chapters 6, 7, and 8, A Warning, Decisions and Discoveries, and Consequences. In these chapters, Lorcan finds out exactly what the traitor women who do not like him are willing to do in order to injure him. And... I'm starting to have doubts about my lesbian romance that I was so excited about. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Ashley for commissioning this episode. Ashley's in the chat. She says, hi, Natasha. Sorry for missing the last recording. My sister dropped by unexpectedly and I spent the night hosting. Oh, well, that's nice. Um, yeah, no problem, of course. But it was, it's nice that you're able to come sometimes because I worried you wouldn't be able to at all. Um, so yeah, guys, these chapters, there's like, I am really astonished at how much more interested I am in this book than I was in the last book. I feel like things are moving along and maybe it's just that it's like taking a little time for me to get to know the characters again. I don't know what it is, but I'm much more engaged this time around. Um, so when we start off with, uh, the first of these three chapters, a, a warning, we are with Lorcan and there's an illness called the chill fever that is going around. And this is something that's not exactly unusual. This is, this is apparently a thing that happens every year. They know how to treat it. They know exactly like the people who are receiving treatment know how it works. And therefore the healers don't really need to spend very much time explaining. And the whole thing is sort of lurking, like having to dole out very carefully and in rationed portions the treatments because there are some people who are not actually sick but think that they are and if you give them the treatments it's first of all wasting something that can be used for a person who's actually sick but also it's something that like you can't actually stand to take if you because it like is so bitter tasting 
in at least they have two different ways of treating it. They have like a syrup that you take or a, a tea um, and they have a sweet, a kind of a candy. And the candy is something that they'll give to kids who say they're sick. But the candy is so strong that unless your taste buds have been dulled by the illness, you can't fucking manage to like keep on sucking on it. So that sort of like weeds people out pretty quickly. And I found that really funny. It's sort of like forcing people to have like uh, cough drops. And I know some people actually do enjoy cough drops, like just as a thing. But I think a lot of us, there's a a sort of soothing feeling that comes from a cough drop when you are congested and feel terrible. And you're not really looking for that if you aren't actually congested, you know, um, Ashley says, I think I felt that way about the second book in the original trilogy, too. The second book was definitely the best. I guess she just takes a minute to get into her stride. Yeah, and I can't help but wonder, Ashley, regarding publishing, how much publishers like push for writers to make a trilogy happen when there maybe isn't enough material for a whole trilogy? I stand by my assessment at the end of the first book that that did not need to be its own book. I think all of this could have been wrapped up in the first book and a lot of what was in the first book could have been cut. So I, I wonder if there isn't some padding out that's happening because publishers just want to be able to present a trilogy because that's so traditional and it's a moneymaker and you know, that whole thing. But I can't help but wonder if that always like works out because with this and like, I, and I actually went and read some reviews of the, the previous book because I was curious if it was just me. I saw a lot of people who said that they liked her books normally and this first book did not grab them at all. And so they weren't intending to finish. And so I kind of wonder about that. Like what if you write a first book and it's not they they aren't judicious about making sure that it's well paced. They're banking on everybody's going to want to buy the next two books, of course. Mm. Not necessarily. I can't help but think they might be shooting themselves in the foot trying to like force something that's not naturally going to happen with a story. Um, so anyway, so the whole thing with Lorcan here is there's a, a woman who comes in who is uh, ill. And I don't know how many of y'all remember, but something about magicians is that they don't get sick. That, that, like they'll, you know, sustain injuries and things like that. That's different. But there is something about the way that their immune systems work and heal themselves. They don't have these kinds of, of viral infections. Um, you know, it's not that that does not happen with them. So hi, Martin. So the thing that I really liked here was he sees this girl come in. And she's like got all of the symptoms, but he thought she was a magician because her entire family is magicians. And there's a dude there who he's treating and he sees the way that Lurkin looks at her in surprise. And he's like, you thought she was a magician, huh? Yeah. She likes that people think that she's not, but she sure tries to like, kind of like sustain that illusion. And Lurkin mentions about how like, in Kirelia, magicians have to wear an outfit to distinguish them as, you know, separate from other people. And that's one of those things that on the one hand, I understand that magicians are capable of a lot. It is sort of a silly thing to just be like, 
yeah, but you know, they can literally change their clothes at any time. Like, you know, we go right to his mother, uh, roaming the streets in a, in a disguise in order to disguise what she is. And it's just an interesting thing for him to be so used to being able to tell at a glance who is who and what they are. And then that sort of being taken away from him here. Um, and there's a brief discussion. Well, I'm trying to find, let's see. Oh yeah. So the guy that he's treating, um, he tells him, by the way, there's a woman who's a friend of yours that wants to meet you in the viewing rooms. And Lorcan sneaks away and it's Tyvara and she is meeting him to warn him. Now, this is one of those scenes where I just like Lorcan, buddy. Oh my God. Lorcan has just like, he has, he is where he is now because of a female magician who tried to kill him using sex, right? Explicitly, that is the means of, by which she was going to assassinate him. And Tyvara comes to him and is just like, you, you, you have to be careful because they are going to be trying harder than usual to get you to come to their beds. And you do not want to do that. And Lorcan's response is gleeful delight at the fact that this means Tyvara is jealous. Lorcan. Listen to the words she's saying. You dodo bird. She's telling you because he's like, oh, because they like me so much. And she's like, mm, more the opposite, actually. Buddy, she has to really, like, say that shit before he stops and is like, oh, dude, I, listen, maybe I'm overcautious, but if I'm lurking and the way that somebody initially tried to kill me was by fucking me and they were part of this, like, shadowy secret community and I wind up having to live in that shadowy secret community and other women in that community are trying to have sex with me. I am never fucking any of them ever. Like Tyvara is the one exception because she sacrificed in order to save his life, right? She, you know, so he knows he can trust her. Other than that, no, 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 no. And it blows my mind that the idea of somebody doing that to him here hasn't even seemed to occur to him. Like, granted, I'm not trying to say that they would just tolerate somebody killing him that way. Like, there would be a punishment. But it's the sort of thing that, for me, it's it falls under the ask forgiveness, not permission. And we do find out that killing a dude that way is subject to a much smaller punishment. Like it's a lighter sentence than it would be an outright murder. Think with your head, dude, not with your dick. Can you like, come on, man. It's just, Oh my God. I just looked over and saw Ashley say he thinks with his dick. Amen, sister. Um, it's just, I can't get over that specific kind of attack being the catalyst for all of this happening. 
and him not being eternally paranoid about it from then on. I would never, ever, ever be able to have sex with like somebody I didn't know super well again without that being on my mind. I just that would shift everything for me, you know. So the idea that he like this whole thing happened, he's literally like a prisoner in this community now because he stuck up for somebody who like put herself on the line. And yet he's still not thinking about his vulnerability in that regard. <laughs> there comes a point where if somebody dies because it's like the fool me once, you know, if he did get got by a woman using the exact same method as the one who tried the first time, that's kind of on him. Like, I, I don't know that I would even be like upset about I would be I would be bummed because Lorcan doesn't seem like a bad guy, but he does not seem like a smart guy. And I have a lot of trouble rooting for a person who doesn't seem to learn from their own mistakes. It's just I have a hard time with that. I so anyway, this whole conversation is just really painful as he like begins to um it literally she's jealous. She wants me all for herself. You're taking it the wrong way, she told him, her eyes narrowing. There truly is a risk. What they could be planning can be dangerous. It can kill. And I really wanted to be like, just tell him they're trying to kill him the way they did the first time. Just say that. It's weird how she sort of like talks around it rather than just being like, remember the thing they tried to do? They're going to try again. I mean, the way that she says it can kill, it seems like she's sort of trying to soften it. Like maybe they're not going to actually attempt to kill you. Maybe they just are going to injure you. But it seems like really in in truth, what she is saying is that likely they're going to kill you and try and act like it was an accident, you know? Um, so, yeah, he says, I will not bed any traitors until you say I can. She rolled her eyes and stepped away toward the door. It's only the magicians you have to be wary of. What you do with the rest is not my business, though it would be appreciated if you did what's necessary to prevent siring a whole lot of children, because we already have a lot of mouths to feed. That actually brought up something interesting to me, because now we know that, you know, after what went down with, uh, with Sania and Akarin, that there is magical birth control, essentially. And I wonder if they don't have healing in this community, magical healing isn't a thing that they do. Do they also not have magical birth control? That would suck. I assume they don't. And that would be an enormous boon to be able. I mean, contraception is just such a major factor in women's health in general. Um, and I just, that, that being added, I mean, already we've got illnesses, we've got um, injuries. There was like that plague that happened and that was what tipped the whole thing off with them trying to get his dad's help. That's bad enough, but those are situations that I think of as just like extreme emergency situations. And so they feel sort of removed from daily life to me. When you talk about something like a simple contraception, that is something that that leads to overall health. And it leads to oftentimes a healthier community because people don't have children unless they are 
able to care for their children. You know, a lot of people recognize whether they have the resources to raise a child or not. And so they choose not to because they don't have that. And she says something to him here about having too many mouths to feed already. I feel like that could only help them. Um, so anyway, yeah, I just, I thought that that was interesting. So then we go back to Sania and she is talking to Jonna. Now, Jonna is her aunt. Am I incorrect here? I feel like I keep like getting mixed up or is her aunt? Oh, okay. Ashley says that's right. Okay, cool. Um, and oh, yes, she looked up at her aunt. Right, right. Okay. She, it says it right here. I don't know how I missed that. But Jonna is sort of like insinuating again that Sania should maybe have uh, hooked up with Dorian saying he's a very nice boy. And Sania's like, I mean, yeah, he is. But I would also like he wants to be in the country and help help people out there. You would never see me again. Um, and Jonna's like, well, the guild would not have let you go to the country. And she's like, yeah. And then he would what be forced to stay here. And that would be a really shitty thing to do. Like he's doing a lot of good out there. And this makes me wonder whether Dorian is going to be another love interest. I feel like there's a mention of his family, like that he got married, but I don't like their, their names were unfamiliar to me. So I wasn't sure if I was mixing them up with somebody else. Um, but at this point, Regin comes in and she had in the last section been sort of wondering what's going on with him because he isn't as available as he had been. And he's not doing like a lot of, he hasn't been showing up, you know, the way that he was. And I just don't know what's going on because he tells her here, there's something going on with my family. I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to help you with this whole thing with Skellen. And he doesn't really offer any other explanation. He doesn't linger. You know, the minute that he sees that there are other people coming up, he's like, okay, I got to go. And I don't feel like this is him being shady. I feel like there's something genuinely going on. And he is, I think that he's worried enough about it that he doesn't want to tell anybody else anything that's happening. I feel like it has to do with Rowett because if it's something that he doesn't want to tell anyone about, it would, I would think it would have to be something that he thinks potentially his family could get in big trouble for, you know, but it bums me out that after everything, even if it is something that his family could be in trouble for, that he wouldn't trust Sunia with it. And honestly, maybe it has nothing to do with Roa because if it did, that might motivate him more than anything to like go up and, against Skellen and try and find him. So I might be totally off base here, but it's just really peculiar. And I felt really bad for Sunia. Like there's nothing quite like, <laughs> this is something that like, I think all of us have sort of been through a little thing like this. Um, I love moments where somebody convinces you to trust them and that pays off because it can be hard for a lot of us to trust people. But then there are times like this where a person convinces you to trust them and then they are not there for you the way that they sort of convinced you to allow them to be, you know, and that is super duper frustrating to me. Like, 
It took a while for her to believe that Regin was on her side. And she finally begins to really think that's true. And it's not that he betrayed her, but he just sort of bailed. And I really feel bad about that. I just, it's something that I am familiar with personally, having somebody just insist, insist, insist that you be able to ask for help and you do, and they just don't come through at all. And you feel like an idiot because you're like, this is the whole reason I resisted this. And you kept acting like I was being ridiculous because I don't want to count on people because as soon as you do, you know, and uh, I just hope that Regin either comes around and explains himself a little bit later or manages to like deal with whatever it is enough that he can offer his help again or something, you know, um, anyway, so I, this, this little bit turns into surprise. Dorian is going to help. Dorian isn't like interested because his father is like saying something about how, um, you know, he has his family, his village, depending on him. And Dorian's like, yeah, but there's another healer that's only a while away and we have a deal that they'll look after my people if they need help. And he, the, there is a sort of vibe, both with Roth and Ansonia, that they don't really feel like Dorian should get involved. And uh, I can't help but laugh because like, what's happening here? He's a healer too. You know, what's going on here? And he... I think that it's mentioned he asks uh, Sania about healing Roa addiction and stuff. This is something that he also has to cope with. And if Skellen's one of the main suppliers of this devastating drug, no wonder he wants to be involved and help take this guy down, you know? Um, and I really appreciated that later on, Dorian is just like, they don't he doesn't even tell them himself that he's going to stay they wind up finding out secondhand through somebody else who's like oh by the way i'm sure you're glad dorian's going to be around to help and they're like what now and he's just like didn't even ask them or say anything to them because he knew exactly how they were going to react and he's just like i don't need your permission kids i'm staying i'm doing a thing shut up amen dorian honestly amen so we go then to uh Lilia and Naki, guys. Oh, I hate this so much. The thing is, Rowett has really been made into such a boogeyman of a drug, right? I'm seeing Rowett as heroin. The kind of drug that r seems to ruin your body, like change your chemistry, and that you are simply not the same after you used it. And in these scenes with Lilia and I just forgot her name again, Nika Naki, um, Roa is being treated a lot more like weed and if it is actually only like weed fine but what this seems to me is 
Naki pulling Lilia down a really bad path. And you hate to see it, kids. I mean, you really do. And I have a lot of sympathy for Lilia. Lilia is dealing with the potential that she's gay and doesn't know what to do with that. That's obviously not something that's like approved of in Curelia. She is the the whole thing with school in general is stressful. You know, when you're a Lowy, even though she's like kind of on a upper tier of the Lowys, you're dealing with a lot of uh, navigating social spaces and dealing with that. And Lilia is obviously somebody who suffers from a little bit of anxiety. And personally, and I've talked about this on the podcast, um, I, two years ago, was it maybe last year? I think it was last year, actually. God, time. Everything that's happened over the past couple of years has made time just like silly putty. I don't know when, what day it is. Like, it's a mess. But I went to visit Bitches and Money, who some of you may know from the the Unspoiled Network. They host another couple of shows. They host the Buffy show and stuff. And um, Bitches was heading up the... Uh, the board that was in charge of putting on a convention in LA and she wanted me to be a guest. And as it turns out, I was only going to be on two panels, but she basically, she said that she knew I needed a break, but that I would not be willing to take that break unless it was presented to me as work. So I was visiting them for like three days but I only had two panels, which were pretty much back to back on the same day. And other than that, I had nothing that I needed to be doing. And while I was there, and like, it's so typical, I, I get to the hotel. And the first thing that I started doing was working on patron postcards, because I just don't know how to fucking chill. I just don't know how to do it. It's really bad, guys. Um, and they had some edibles. They had a, a friend of theirs made weed cookies and you would take a poor, a tiny piece of it, you know, cause it was potent stuff and you didn't eat a whole cookie or you'd just be fucking down for two days. And I am somebody who has tried to smoke weed before and it just, I have asthma and it just fucked me up. So that had never really worked out for me, but they got me to try some of these edibles, which was not something I'd ever done before. And it was remarkable how much it helped with my anxiety, which I don't think I realized how bad my anxiety really was until I began to feel it go away. And it has changed everything for me. And I've said this to bitches several times, just like how much it opened my eyes to how like how constant this voice is in my head, how completely driven by anxiety I am so much of the time to do, do, do and not rest. And even when I do rest, I'm still like making lists in my head. I, st I still don't know how to turn that off. So in that respect, now how I achieve that same effect, because weed is not le weeds legal in C California, but it's not legal in Texas. And it's I, I could still get a hold of it, but it's a pain and it's risky. So I started using CBD capsules and it has changed everything. Like it really has made a massive difference. And so in these scenes with Lilia, when she's with Naki and, and she's using Rowett, 
I, I, on the one hand, really understood this drug loosening you up and making you feel like you can finally breathe and be calm and genuinely be in the moment in a way that gets harder and harder to achieve as an adult. When you're a child, I feel like that's part of why our memories from childhood are so vivid is because when you're a child, you're not thinking seven steps ahead. You are in the moment experiencing something very fully at that moment. And as an adult, your head is 11 different places and anywhere but where you are. So I have so, so, so much sympathy for Lilia here. But I am really concerned that this isn't like weed. I am not sure if there are different strains of Rowit and some of it is just sort of like a cannabis effect and others have been laced with something. I don't know. But I am really worried that Naki's intentions are not totally pure here or that Naki is just a super bad influence. And the thing is, it really is uglier when it's somebody who has extreme privilege that is is taking a person who has fewer opportunities and fewer resources and teaching them how to do risky things because it just feels like that is a person who doesn't understand what's on the line for the other person and how much more limited their options are going to be if they get caught they won't have you know people to defend them the same way they don't have a reputation that's going to sustain them that if if Lilia gets caught versus Naki, those are very different situations, you know? And I don't know that Naki really seems to get that, despite the fact that she's, like, friendly with the servants in her house and everything. So it's not like she looks down on lower classes, but you don't have to look down on them to be privileged and take your privilege for granted, and so I'm just very, very leery of this whole thing. I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, Ashley says, particularly over the last few months, someone pointed out to me that we're now closer to this Christmas than last one. And I was so shocked. Oh, talking about time. Yeah, it's bonkers. Like, guys, planning a wedding throughout all of this, too. I mean, I am still holding on to... I, I have to move forward as if things are going to be fine, because what else can I do if I choose not to do that? Then I just don't plan anything. And then things work out by then. And I haven't actually put a plan in place. I can't do that. But it is a really weird thing to be making plans and the whole time be watching America fail at doing the slightest fucking. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other situation. But yeah, so she gets together here with Naki. They dress up and Naki's like teasing her about how uptight she is just trying on clothing that isn't magician clothing and how like incredibly uncomfortable it makes her a little bit that she's like, oh, I'm doing something forbidden. And Naki's kind of like, I mean, yeah. It's a, it'll be our secret, but also like, this is not that big a deal. And maybe we should get you doing something a little riskier so that you will be able to lighten up a little bit. And that is when she does the row it. Um, and Lilia is like loosened up enough by using this that she feels much more 
comfortable laying on a bed next to Naki and then actually saying out loud, the girls in my class say that you actually like girls and not boys. And it gives, it loosens her tongue to have this conversation that she otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and, you know, I, I, I rather like this. I want her to have this conversation and I believe that she wouldn't have it if it weren't for the influence of this drug. But I'm also just really worried about if Naki has some ulterior motive here. I don't know. Um, so at one point, Naki, like, she's like, okay, let's go into the library and get some more. And Lilia's like, your father uses it and keeps it in the library. And she says, my father's family have lots of sordid habits. For my uncle, it was girls. I mean, he likes little girls. The servants knew and kept me out of his way whenever he came visiting. Father never believed me when I told him. And then she looks at Lilia and says, oh, he paid for it in the end. And I'm just dying to know what the fuck that is about. What happened to that guy? What is this? Um, so they go into the library and Naki shows her this book that uh, is really, really old that contain it's a copy. So it's not quite as old as the information in it, um, but it has info about using black magic. And Lily is sort of like, does your family know how to use black magic? And she's like, I don't think so. But honestly, it wouldn't be hard to hide if they did. So maybe they do. I just I have no idea. And then she pulls out a ring that has a, a, a pale stone set in it. And she says, mother told me the stone is magical and she could teach me how to use it one day. Um, she said it helped a woman to keep secrets. So what this feels like is that maybe Naki's mother was a traitor or maybe Duna, but she had like one of those stones that keeps people from being able to read your mind is what I'm taking from this. And I wonder how this is going to work out and if it's used, like going to be used soon. Cause I, she says that she doesn't know how to make it work. And I don't know, like what, you know, I don't know how that works. It would be, I would assume required to have somebody else trying to read your mind for you to, figure that out and if she doesn't have a person attempting to sort of invade her thoughts then I don't know that she could figure out how to use it you know without that motivation um so at this point Lilia says um maybe your father doesn't know black magic after all surely he'd wear the ring if it helps hide secrets and she says, I don't think even he would try learning it. He's not one for taking big risks. Um, and later on, they go together to a Rowett house. And it's a really weird scene. First of all, she stops and talks to this guy named Kellen. I don't know about y'all, but that's a little bit too close to Skellen for me. And I'm kind of wondering if that isn't who that was. And she's just calling him by a different name. I'm very curious about that. Um, and at w finally, like, 
she and Lilia are alone and they begin to make out finally. And I was like, so excited, you know, even though I was very worried about the drug thing and I still am, I was like, all right, here we go. They're finally going to hook up and be a couple. And this is great. And then Lilia looks up and sees somebody watching them from inside the fireplace. And she sort of like pushes Naki off her and then says, like, I don't think that this is as private as we thought. And I liked the moment because Naki sort of is like, uh, gives her a look like she's trying to tell whether or not Lilia is just losing her nerve, like maybe deciding like she doesn't want to hook up after all. But then she sees that clearly it's just actually Lilia is like, you know, she isn't regretting making out. She's just sort of feeling like there's something not right about this situation. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Martin says, I thought that was Callan as in black magic Callan. Oh, maybe I, it wasn't spelled the same way. I didn't think, but maybe it's like, one of those things where it's not spelled the same way because the it's being said the way that they hear it. But wouldn't they know who that is? Like, I would think Lilia would recognize Callan because he's a higher magician and there isn't any sort of like suggestion to me that she recognizes this guy. Um, yeah, it's spelled K-E-L-I-N, she says. Kellen, it's been too long. How's business? Lilia turns to see a short, stocky man with squinty eyes standing half in, half out of a doorway. His lips parted and crooked teeth flashed. I don't think that it's him, guys, because she just doesn't, this doesn't sound like who we're... I I just the it's spelled the same way as Skellen K E L I N except Skellen has two L's so I thought maybe she just like it was supposed to be that she misheard and this was Skellen but honestly I don't really remember what Skellen is supposed to look like so it might just be a whole other person it felt like this was supposed to be pretty significant um this like little meeting like we were supposed to remember who this guy is but. Yeah, I don't know. Lilia asks, who was that man? Naki says, a friend of the family. He did my father a favor once and now acts like he's a relation. He's all right, though, once you understand what he values. That's the secret to people, knowing what they value. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's just like, I thought maybe it was Skellen and it was just like, you know, she misheard or he goes by like a slightly altered name. It's a little bit too close. Like, I don't really understand if it isn't Skellen, why the author wouldn't pick a name that sounds nothing like it. And especially you guys are all thinking it was Callan, who is another character. This author has a real problem with making names that sound very similar to each other. This I've run into this before. Just... You don't even have to give people real names. Just give them nicknames and that's fine. And it's easier to keep track of everybody, you know. Um, so anyway, um, do, 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 I'm trying to see where we are here. Um, I just don't know who the fuck is watching them through the fireplace. 
it doesn't seem like it seems like a pretty open secret that Naki's gay. It's not like they have film in this, you know, this universe. Otherwise, I would be like, is somebody trying to video the two of them together so that they can blackmail her? But people seem to know about this. I really don't know what would happen. Like, could they be expelled if they were caught together? Probably, right? Like, but that this is not. I don't know. I, I have no idea what that was about. And part of me wonders if Naki particularly brought Lilia here in order to set her up. And I really would hate that. But ugh, I don't know. So that's sort of what, where things end with the two of them in this section. Um, so then we have Sania and they have the vote on whether or not they are going to um, block Larandra's powers, the prisoner who is uh, Skellen's mother, I believe. And they all block, well, most of them uh, vote for blocking. And then Callan is the one that gets uh, put in charge of actually placing the block on her. And it's interesting, Sunia, like, they asked her if she would be the one to do it. And she said, she, like, had to sort of restrain herself because she wanted to say yes so that she could read her mind and find out whether or not Larandra is the one who killed Sari's family. But she's also lying to Larandra about the fact that the blocked powers can be reversed. And she's worried that if they are, their minds connect when she's trying to block her powers, Larandra might figure out that she's full of shit when she says that and then not cooperate any further with Sunia. Whereas at this point, that's still this like motivation for her that she might be willing to cooperate if she thinks that maybe Sunia can reverse all of this for her eventually. Um, so yeah. And I also thought it was interesting that Sunia and Callan are the ones that are like put in charge of doing this block at all. Because people seem to think that if you're a black magician, it's easier for them to do this because like somebody's going to be resistant, of course, to getting their powers blocked. And apparently they think black magicians would have an easier time forcing their way through blocks that somebody would throw up to keep this from happening. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a, like I understand very much why Sania has chosen to handle things the way that she has. I really get it. But I am extremely concerned about whether or not this is going to blow up in her face. I feel like this is just not a sustainable lie. And I shudder to think if she manages to get Larandra to, to cooperate and then Larandra finds out she was lying what that will look like. I feel like that'll be really bad. Um, so anyway, this is when she and Rothen are together and Lady Venara comes and tells them about how Dorian is going to be staying. Um, and Sunia kind of gives Rothen a look because she wonders if he was keeping this from her and he has to be like, he didn't tell me either. Um, and then we go to Daniel. And this is really interesting the books that Daniel has purchased, the records that he got when he was at this, uh, this market. Um, well, first of all, 
It says the man admitted they came from an estate at the edge of the wasteland, which like many was failing due to the advance of the dust and sands. I don't know if this is something that I was supposed to have realized before, but it's made much clearer in this section because of the, um, the reading of the records that he's going through. But evidently, the wasteland outside of Sachaka, or that, you know, it's between Sachaka and Karelia, is slowly growing and expanding and continuing to sort of encroach. Did we know that? Like that, and, and it might not be entirely growing now the way that it had been initially. It may simply be like, this is sort of the result of erosion. But at one point in the records that he's reading from right after it all happened, it sounds like that shit kept sort of growing for a while. And that is really kind of like brutal to me. I just can't. I thought that it was okay. We, we are going to uh, fuck up your land and make it so that your resources are scarcer and you don't have as much room to farm and everything. And that's going to be this one huge blow. And that will take away a large portion of usable land. And then we're done. But it seems like what actually happened is we're going to take this away initially and then over time, it is eventually going to subsume your entire country, potentially. And not for nothing, Sachaka can't be the only one that this is going to affect if, like, we look forward in time enough. Eventually, that's going to pass their borders as well. And it may take thousands of years to, to occur, but I didn't realize that this was what we're looking at here. And that's very upsetting to me. Um, yeah, Ashaki a, a Tachika has sold his estate and moved to Arvis. He says he will be dead before, before the damaged land recovers and worries that the land will never support crops again. It is a pity. He had such success at first, but recently many estates have suffered the same reversal. It is a mystery why this is so. Um, the wastes have passed the boundary. The slaves reported it to Kova, and when he told me, I rode out to see it for myself. It has taken more than 30 years for it to touch my estate, though the dusts have preceded it since the day after the Great Blast. Ashaki Tachika's land is gone. Will mine and Velicha's die in the next 30 years? Will my son inherit a doomed estate and future? Despite all the Ashaki say to deny it, their rejection of my son's proposals of marriage to their daughters reveals their lie. Maybe it will be better if there is no grandson to inherit our troubles. That blows. Yikes. I didn't, I just did not realize that that was how it was and that there are still people all these hundreds of years later that are being affected by it. You know, it sort of reminds me of nuclear fallout and just, how much time has to pass before an area is habitable. Um, so eventually he gets to a part that is um, a record being taken by this woman. And it is the wife of an Ashaki 
who uh, he begins to realize that like this was written pretty quickly after everything happened. Not even just after she begins a lot of the record before it happened and that the way that they're she's discussing what's going on um let's see she talks about the Kirelian she calls them the pale ones um it is not hard to make the slaves talk the crazy emperor knows which is what she's calling Narvelin was that his name I think that was his name um, and they call him emperor because they don't really have another name for his position yet. But that's not actually who he is, you know. That is why he claimed the betrayer's slave for himself. Better to keep an eye on it always. Take the hero's property and you replace the hero in the slave's eyes. The crazy emperor wanted the pale ones to take our children and have their own people raise them. Make our little ones hate us. But the kind one argued against the plan and the others supported him. I bet they regret making the mad one their leader, which girl, yes, they do. Um, so let's see, he, their own crazy emperor uh, robbed them that he took the weapon from our throats and ran. Many of the pale ones have given chase. It is a great opportunity. I am angry and sad. My people are too cowed even to take the advantage they have. They say the crazy emperor may return with a knife and punish us. They are cowards. Man, if that isn't the truest thing, I think that people just like as time goes on with what's going on in our own country in the United States, people are beginning to understand a little bit more how complacency works and how much we like get used to being treated badly. And so you read about a thing that's like, well, why don't you just... You know, there's enough of you if you decided to do X, Y, Z, but it's a, it takes like a lot to push yourself to take action after hundreds of years of being, you know, treated a certain way and sort of accepting it and other people seeming to also accept it that uprooting the status quo, that's a tough thing to motivate people to do. Um, so a great blast of magic has scoured the land. Such power could only have come from the store stone. And I like this. She specifically mentions the store stone here. So this is something that uh, confirms Daniel's, you know, con his theories on what happened here. Her specifically mentioning this thing. Um, and... She says something about how the land burned will recover and will rise up and be strong again. And I just feel really bad because I know how much time has passed and how that still hasn't exactly happened the way that she would have expected. And I feel like, obviously, the country of Sachaka needs a lot of work. They are not a fair society, but no more is Kirelia. They're doing a little bit better, granted. But there is still a lot of grossness there. And to just see somebody like talking about how things are inevitably going to improve when you know how they don't. It's like seeing your own Facebook memories on New Year's Eve and seeing how excited you were to finally be kissing 2016 goodbye because the next year has to get better. And then you, you know the four more years of absolute horror 
still await your old self and you're just like, God damn. Um, so Daniel is realizing that he needs to get a hold of more records like this, but he doesn't know what to do here. Uh, he's like planning on just going out and buying them, but it's not cheap. And there's also a sense of like profiting off the backs of people who are losing their homes and being forced to sell this stuff due to the fact that the, the wasteland is expanding and eating away their family homes. So it does feel like rather predatory and opportunistic in an ugly way. And eventually um, Achadi talks to him and is like, why don't we just go for a road trip and we'll stop at various houses. They will be forced to like take us in. And if they have a good library, we can mention to them that you're interested and they will show stuff to us for free because I work for the king and I am in his favor and you are my guest. And this is literally part of your job. Like we don't need to be doing it this way. So Daniel agrees to do this, but there is a little part of him that as he agrees he is thinking about Tyend and wondering, he says something about how like, this is not a nice way to thank Tyend for showing me what I found in the marketplace, which to me made it sound like he hasn't actually thanked Tyend at all yet. And I was just like, dude, why are you, come on, man. Like, it's just, a. it's really interesting to watch this relationship that's sort of falling apart from Daniel's perspective and realize how much I took his side initially because the way that he was describing Tyen's behavior was really like disrespectful. But the more I am learning about how Daniel is handling it, the less impressed I am. He's just really doing the avoiding game. And it's a little bit embarrassing. Like, dude, fucking deal with your shit man talk to him what are you doing you know i don't know so it sort of ends with him like considering what tie end will think of this because this kind of adventure is exactly how him and tie end wound up hooking up he's a little bit like wondering if a chadi is still interested in him and realizing that he's low-key interested and not really sure what to do with that and it's just kind of a mess so we'll see how that goes so let me go back to Lorcan, and there's this moment here. Lorcan, like I had said earlier, he's been asked to ration supplies. And there's this moment here. He saw in this patient's eyes, um, he saw in her eyes a pity quite different to the sympathy he felt for her. Uh, she pities me. Why would she pity me? The mother nodded, took, the daughter, took her daughter's hand and moved away. He watched as she walked over to Kalia. Though it had happened before with other patients, he still felt his stomach sink. Kalia was busy and he didn't care to watch as the woman checked what he'd told her. He moved to the next patient, an old woman with dark circles in her eyes and a more concerning wrenching cough. Um, how many times do I have to tell you, Kalia said loudly. The old woman's eyes flickered away and then back to Lorkin. She means you, she muttered. I told you no more than four a day, she declared. Do you want to poison this child? 
Lorcan looked down at the girl who was grinning widely, excited by the scene she was a part of. Of course not, he replied. Who could ever harm such a pretty girl? The girl's smile faltered. She liked to be flattered, he guessed, but knew her mother would not like her to respond in a friendly way. Not knowing what to do, she looked up at her mother, then frowned and regarded him suspiciously. I did wonder why you told me to give her more sweets than the other children, he added, unable to resist hinting that Kalia might be favoring her friends with more of the limited supply of cures. I did not tell you to give her six, Kalia's voice rose to a higher note. Actually, you did, a huskier voice replied. So there's this old woman that he's like looking after here who is just staring Kalia down. And basically being like, bitch, you're not going to pull this fucking shit in front of me. I don't know what you're doing. But, yeah. Um, Perhaps you are right, Kalia said, smiling. We have been so busy here, we are all tired. I am sorry, she said to the old woman. And then whirled around to face the mother and daughter. I apologize. Here, she gave them the sweets and prattled away. And the old woman is like, what the fuck was that? That was such a, like, that wasn't even a well-thought-out charade she was playing out here. How could anybody be fooled by that? Um, but And it really is just kind of like, what what a clumsy setup. It almost makes you wonder if this isn't, like, a setup within a setup, and he's supposed to now trust this old woman for standing up for him, even though she's not really, like, on his side. Um but this pretty quickly gets uh, superseded in his mind by the arrival of Ivar. Ivar turns up on a fucking stretcher and it turns out that they dra- dragged all of the energy out of him through sex. This was not um, the woman who brings him in is not the one he slept with. Leota is the one that drained him of energy. And honestly this is like a horrible thing that is almost funny because when Lorcan goes to speak to Ivar Ivar is basically like I mean she is really fucking fine though like did you see her I'm not even mad like this was kind of worth it Loki Ivar buddy what are you doing she used black magic on you she took me to bed and same thing, except more fun. How else am I going to get in a woman's bed? Look at me. I'm scrawny and a magician, hardly good breeding material. And nobody trusts male magicians. And Lorcan's like, what are you? Come on. Um, and he asks, will Leota be punished? Ivar shakes his head and then gets really excited that he was able to shake his head. It's just like, oh shit, did you see that? Oh, I'm I'm doing better already. Uh, I still think it was worth it. You doubt me? Go have a look at her without her clothes. Meanwhile, Lorcan is really, really angry. Like, he, first of all, it's just the principle of this being done to Ivar. But also, it's part of the way that he is like, that Ivar is treated once he shows up in the, in the wing. It's they, they like 
expose him because he's like wrapped in a blanket and they like fling the blankets off him to check and see if he's like injured in any sort of physical way. And when they see that he's not, they leave the blanket open so that he's just exposed. And Lorcan just finds this to be extremely demeaning and humiliating for no reason other than the fun of it. They don't even put him on a bed. They just put the stretcher on a floor in the corner and they're just like, whatever, he'll recover. It's fine. And Lorcan, you know, for his part, he is just like, this is really gross, guys. Seriously. Um, and he wonders to himself, <laughs> this moment is so funny, you guys. Since Tyvara had warned him not to accept any invitations to a magician's bed, he had turned down more proposals than usual. At least he now had a better idea which magicians were in Kalia's faction. How stupid do they think I am? That's how Riva tried to kill me. They, they think you're very stupid. And they are right to think so. Because you forgot this is how Riva tried to kill you, my friend. I don't know why you expect them to remember and be like, oh, he'll be suspicious of that when you don't seem to remember. I don't know what to tell you, guy. But there it is. Um, And... The rest of the day, he switched back and forth between wondering if he had been wise to come to Sanctuary and questioning whether the traitors could ever be made to see how unequal their society really was. And that is the end of the section. So, yeah, I am out of time. But uh, thank you very much to Ashley and Martin for hanging out in the chat. Um, the king is frequently exiling people and there's less farmable land to live on. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious what's going to happen next. I don't feel like I have any idea, so we'll see. Um, and I believe there's another episode later this week. So if you guys are interested, tune in and until then, toodaloo motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast.